Well, I'm glad you could be here for the second week of our series, Counting the Cost. And the idea behind this series is that just about everything has a cost. Um, and like everything else in the world that has a cost, following Jesus has a cost. Now, I do want to be very clear during this series that I am not saying that you have to do good things to earn God's approval. You have to do good things to kind of work your way into heaven. That is not how salvation works. Um, like everything else, salvation has a cost, but Jesus paid that cost for us. Okay, He died on the sin or died on the cross. Excuse me for the full price of the sin of all humanity. And because He did that, we don't have to work our way into heaven. He has totally wiped that slate clean. And I went into uh, more detail last week, so if you weren't here, I would encourage you to uh, go to our website. It's uh, loamicc.com resources. You can listen to last week's message, and it really goes into more detail uh, about that issue so I don't get the two uh, confused. So like everything else, following Jesus has a cost, but if we're not talking about salvation, then what exactly are we talking about? Well, Jesus died on the cross for more than just your entrance into heaven. He died on the cross to fully remove sin and its consequences from your life, which that does get you into heaven, but he meant for that to work now. He meant to have sin removed from your life now on this earth, how you live, to have it changed. And so what that means is that as we become Christians, we are to give up Anything that is sinful, anything that is uh, not honoring to God that is in our life. And so we are going to have to make some changes to our lives. To, we're going to have to give up some things, pay away some things. The cost of following Jesus might be giving up a certain lifestyle so that we can follow him where he wants us to go. To live a life that is more honoring to God and his will. And so what we said last week was the cost of following Jesus, the cost is giving up a lot of things so that you can follow Jesus to better things. It's giving up a lot of things. Anything that does not honor God, anything that gets in the way of you following the path God has set for you, you lay those things aside, you give those up, so that you can follow Jesus to better things. Now sometimes that sacrifice looks scary on the front end, but on the back end, when you have already given that up and you start following Jesus, you realize how much better His way is. And so what I want to talk to you about this week, the thing I want to talk about giving up that we have to get rid of in our lives is sin. And the reason I want to talk about it is because we don't always give up sin when we become Christians, you know? Uh, that's one thing that does not happen to us the second we get baptized, okay? We don't immediately become holy, pure, and perfect in, in how we live, do we? I mean, we still have all, a lot of problems and a lot of habits and a lot of hang-ups and addictions and a whole slew of other things. And sometimes we don't know enough to give them up, but sometimes we don't give up the sin in our lives because sin is fun. Can I just say that? Sin is fun. People don't always, okay, preachers don't always want to say that, and Christians don't always want to admit that, but sin can be fun, okay? I think of it like, um, I was listening to uh, the Dave Ramsey uh, Financial Peace University class uh, last year when we were teaching it, and one of the things, you know, he always says, you know, Christians always say, you know, money can't bring you happiness. He's like, I don't know, I was pretty happy when I was rich. And I was like, yeah, I guess so. We don't want to admit that money can be fun. It can, but, but sin can be fun. There's a lot of sinful, ungodly things that are a whole lot of fun. And sometimes we think, I'd rather have fun than follow Jesus, than to lay some of those things down. And, you know, to say the word sin, though, is sometimes a little confusing because it's a big word that 
it, a lot of things kind of fit into that category of what is sinful. A lot of things can go in there. A lot of attitudes, a lot of relationships, a lot of uh, words can go into that idea of what is sin. So let me say it this way. When we become Christians, what is going to be required of us is a major lifestyle change. We are, most of us are going to need to change the way we have been living, the choices we have been making, and the things we have been doing so that we can adequately and honorably follow the God of the universe. And that's hard for a lot of us to, to come to terms with. And here's why. A lot of us in this room, we did not come to Jesus because we had a life crisis. Some people do. Some of you, maybe you came to Jesus because everything in your life fell apart and you hit rock bottom. And when you hit rock bottom, you are very open to the fact that, you know what? Maybe something needs to change in my life. When you like crash and burn with your life, you are very receptive to, to this idea that maybe I have sin that I need to get rid of. Maybe I need to quit what I have been doing and start doing something new. And so for those of you that have hit rock bottom and that's how you kind of found your way to God because you had nowhere else to turn, you are probably very open to a lifestyle change. But a lot of us, that's not how we got here. A lot of us, we didn't have our whole life get turned upside down. Okay, A lot of us didn't have our life wreck. Mine didn't. Okay, I never had uh, anything traumatic really happen to me uh, when it came to coming to Jesus. My road to Jesus was very slow. Okay, it was a, a long, drawn-out thing. It wasn't an overnight thing, um, but it, wasn't, it certainly wasn't traumatic. Um, I never had an addiction. I did not lose a loved one. Uh, I didn't uh, really have some sort of existential crisis like, who am I? Why am I here? Uh, I didn't have that. Um, outside of the, just being a teenager, okay, which there's a little bit of, what am I going to do with my life and who am I? There's a little bit of that that just comes with being a teenager, but I didn't really have any sort of like big major life crisis or anything. Um, I... I had a great childhood, a supportive family. I, I, I couldn't really complain about my upbringing, okay? And so I never had a moment where I turned to God just because I had nowhere else to turn. And I'm guessing that a lot of you, you didn't find your way to God through a tragedy. You found your way to God, maybe like I did. The way I, I got here was mostly through curiosity about God and asking the question, I wonder what happens when I die. Anybody else just, I wonder what happens after I die. You went to a funeral and you got curious and here you are, okay, that long story short, here you, that's how I started. Nothing bad happens, and so if you don't have your sin kind of implode your life, if your bad choices didn't wreck your life and cause you to turn to God, maybe you come to God and you don't really see any need to change your lifestyle because everything seemed to be going okay for you. Everything, everything seemed to be going fine for you. And so sometimes when we become Christians and people say, okay, now you got to give up all your sin, if you're like me, you went, what sin? I didn't, what, what am I, I haven't killed anybody, okay, I, I don't go around like kicking homeless people and little puppies, like where, what am I doing wrong, what makes me so bad, what makes the way I'm living so awful, I didn't see it, I didn't have a clue that I was even a sinner, I didn't have a clue, or at least, I mean, I knew I was a sinner, but I didn't have a clue that it was in every day, that there were tons of ways that my lifestyle and my heart needed to change, and so a lot of us, we come here, and our lives aren't imploding, we're normal, we had happy lifestyles, and we're the ones who are going to have trouble understanding this idea that our lives are going to be a day-to-day. -day. If we're going to follow Jesus, our lives are going to be a day-to-day -day work to get sin out of our lives and out of our hearts. And so uh, for many of us, I think the problem, though, for many of us who kind of eased our way into Christianity like I did, um, the problem is we don't know what is sinful and what is not, and we have really a hard time seeing sin 
in our own lives. And so it's hard to know, what am I exactly am I supposed to be getting rid of? What exactly am I supposed to be changing? What exactly am I supposed to be working to get out of my heart? Now, the Apostle Paul addresses these issues in the book of Romans. Paul was a traveling church planner and pastor, and he wrote letters to a lot of the churches that he had a relationship with. One of those churches was in uh, the city of Rome, uh, Rome, Italy. It's a real place. I've been there. And he wrote a letter to these Christians, and we just call it the book of Romans. It's in our Bible. If you want to get your hands on a Bible, fantastic. Uh, the Pew Bible's there. If you want to use that one, it's page 799. If you brought your Bible or you want to use the app on your phone, feel free, um, or the verses will be on the screen behind me. We'll start in Romans chapter 5, and we'll read into Romans chapter 6. Romans, into Romans 5, we'll start in verse 20. Romans 5, 20. Paul says this, The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also, might, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So that first part, he says, is that um, the law brought in was brought in so that the trespass might increase. Um, now, sometimes people say, what's the point of all the laws in the Bible and all the commands and all the thou shalt and thou shalt nots? One of the reasons those are there is to help us understand, as human beings, what is sinful and what is not. What is righteous, what is holy, and what is dishonorable in God's sight. Because I'm just going to break it to you, you're really bad at figuring that stuff out on your own. And so am I. We are not very good at understanding what is right and what is wrong. We think we are, but we are not. That's why Proverbs 14.12 says this. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And as a pastor, I have probably more of a privilege than a lot of people to talk to people who make terrible decisions and then have this amazing superpower to justify and rationalize those bad decisions. Okay? I have, you know, had people, you know, I cheated on my spouse. But, there's no but. Like, nobody made you do that, okay? There's always, you know, my dad, growing up, I always said this, but my dad, his number one thing to me was, uh, growing up, after he'd get, I'd get in trouble for something, I'd start to talk and he'd say, no yabbits. Well, yeah, dad, but. I always said that, yeah, but, no yabbits. No yabbits. That doesn't matter. You did it. You're guilty. You're in trouble. End of story. No, no excuses. I caught you. No yabbits. And, and sometimes we do that. We think we know what's right. We think we know what's wrong. And then when we get into the wrong category, uh, or we, do, we, we, we tell ourselves that, no, that was the right choice. That was the only choice. That was the decision I had to make. And it's amazing how we think we know what, where that line of right and wrong is, but it is not as clear as we hope it would be. And so the purpose of a lot of those laws and commandments and thou shalts and thou shalt nots is to make you and I aware of what is holy and what is sinful because on our own, we're just not that great at figuring those things out. I mean, our country today is a great example of this. If you try to ask people what is right and wrong, nobody agrees anymore. And everybody's mad about it, it seems like. If you, you, know, if you get judged... If Facebook is your judge, everybody's mad about everything, right? And so we're just not very good at agreeing and deciding what's right and wrong. And so what, the, and so what we're even worse at, though, is seeing sin in ourselves 
So when we do know right and wrong, we might, we might have an idea of what's right and wrong, a guess of what's right and wrong, and we might do it, be doing wrong, and we have a terrible, terrible ability to see it. Have you ever had, and I'm, I'm guilty of this because I talk a lot, have you ever had somebody who talks a lot gripe about somebody else who, man, they didn't let me get a word in edgewise? And you're like, pot calling the kettle black, man. Like, they just have no, like, I, I am a little bit unaware sometimes of myself. That's why I got married. She will tell me. Help me be aware, right? And so, you know, there's things like that. Or someone who's really prideful gets mad at, boy, that guy's got an ego the size of a car, doesn't he? It's like, oh, who are you? What is your, are you, like, blind to yourself? Yes, we are often blind to the very same things that we are guilty of. And so we have, we need some help in that respect. And so that is part of the reason why we have commands in the Bible to help us be aware of where God's line of morality and right and wrong, what's safe and what's dangerous for us to get into. God is here to help us with that. Now, um, when I became a Christian, I did not have a clue what sin was. I'm in high school. I didn't know what was right or wrong. Again, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I didn't know what I was going to do with the, for the summer, you know, between school years. So I didn't know what was sinful and what was not. I had to learn those things. And it turns out, being a normal high school boy, just about everything I did was sinful. I don't know. It's just like everything I did was, was if I, uh, the more I kind of learned, the more I got into it, everything I did was sinful. I mean, um, at that age of life when hormones are raging, ogling girls in an inappropriate way, that was just, is that not what you're supposed to do? Is that not why girls exist? I thought girls were just there to look pretty so I could look at them and go, whoa, you know, I don't know. And so the second look, the third look, the glances, you know, that was just what I did. I didn't have any clue that that was wrong or inappropriate. I don't know why I'm, I don't know, I'm an idiot, I guess, I don't know. Um, um, some of us, um, well, one thing I did, I guess, is I used to be so selfish, I think we're all a little selfish, but I used to be so selfish. I mean, I was so much more concerned with how my hair looked than, you know, if there was anybody else. St- come on now. In high school, not now. I mean, anyway, uh, I used to be more concerned with how my hair looked than, you know, whether or not there were people who might be around me that were hurting and needed help, that I could maybe help. That didn't even cross my radar that I might be able to be compassionate or kind to someone around me. I was just concerned about how I looked. Okay, now, some of you are still thinking about what I might look like with hair. Let's bring it back in, okay? Let's kind of reel this sucker in. We're talking about sin and things we need to get out of our lives, and we resume. Okay, um, I remember in high school, and for a long time, I craved money so much and stuff cool stuff so badly because I thought if I could just have more of that, everything else would be worked out. Everything that makes me unhappy with life, if I could just have some more money, I would be able to pay for it and take care of it, okay? So much so that early in college, I invested a significant, at least to that, at that stage of life, a significant portion of money in a get-rich-quick scheme that did not work, and I am still so embarrassed about it to this day. Like, it's like, man, I teach that Dave Ramsey class, and he's like, yeah, there's, you know, saving money, financial wealth, that's a crock pot, not a microwave. You know, he says something like, I know, I learned it the hard way, and some of you did too. I can tell by your faces, because you're like looking at the windows instead of me. I understand. We, we wanted it, it looked like a sure thing, and that was dumb, okay? I did that. Those were the things that my heart centered around. What was good for me? What sounded fun to me? What pleased me? And consequently, about everything in my life, was not honoring to God. And I had to learn what pleased God and what didn't, slowly. 
by doing a lot of things, by going to church, by listening to good teaching. There were several things that I had to do to learn what was sinful and what wasn't. And so my, I would guess that there are many of us in this room, you're like me. There's places where you don't know what's sinful and what's not. Because we live to a different moral code than what we get when we go to work, than what we get from television and commercials and movies. We live to a different set of moral standards, God's standard, not a self-set standard, not a human standard, a divine standard. That we live according to God's rules. And so that is something that we are going to have to intentionally learn because we're not going to get it anywhere else. I I hate to say this and break it to some of you, but we don't live in a Christian nation anymore. The majority of people don't claim claim any Christian affiliation. The number of people that claim Christianity is going down and down and down. You don't get that everywhere you go. Maybe you did 100 years ago, but that is not the case anymore. And so if we are going to grow in knowing what is sin and what is not, we're going to have to intentionally learn it. Because a lot of this normal American lifestyle is full of things that are sinful. And so you can be a normal-looking American citizen and have your life, just like me, be full of sin. Let's give some examples. I think the way we are encouraged as parents to put a huge chunk of time into our kids' athletic lives and almost no emphasis on their spiritual lives, I think that's sinful. Because, how, let's see, I'm 33. I, what was I, I can't even remember what I did, but I hurt my elbow. I've never had any problems with my elbow, but like I was picking up a book the other day, and I was like, I can't even like almost grip it to get over here. It's like, what happened to me? Okay, I've been out of high school not even half my life, and I can't do anything anymore. And so for us to invest everything into four years of athletics like it's everything and totally ignoring the spiritual well-being of our children that can get them to eternity, that can prolong them and give them millions and billions of of years with their creator and perfection, that is sinful. That is not something that we should neglect. And we as parents, we have often outsourced the spiritual growth of our children to the church because we didn't want to handle it. And um, no offense, but that cannot be Ben's job or my job. We are here to facilitate that, but we cannot be the spiritual leaders of your kid's life. We will never have the influence that you guys do. And just a little side note that doesn't really have anything to do with this. As a parent or a grandparent, some, of, some people get intimidated with trying to be a spiritual influence in their kid's life because they think, I don't have very perfect faith to be a spiritual influence in my kid's life. Just so you know, your kids aren't looking for perfect faith. They're looking for an honest representation of the faith that you have. They don't want perfect faith, an honest representation of the faith that you have. And for us to neglect investing in our kids for sports or, I hate to even say this, but like even like the, the athletic stuff, is, or not athletic, but uh, what's the other word? Educational. Um, academic. There it is. Acad- Gosh. I talk for a living. I said this last week. What is wrong with me? Anyway, so the academic stuff, even that kind of stuff, to neglect spiritual stuff. And academics aren't bad. Sports aren't bad. I'm not saying they're the devil or anything. But we've, we, we emphasize one to the point where we neglect something that is so incredibly valuable. And why would we do that? Um, I think the way that we never stop anymore as a culture, we never rest. We go, 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 go all the time. Our calendar every second of every day is full. I think that's sinful. God set for us a pattern of work and rest. And when we go all the time, when we never have a break, what we are saying is, God, I can't trust you with my life. And so I'm going to go and go and go and go and go and do everything because if I stop, you're not going to do it, so I better do it. 
If my life's going to turn out the way that I want, I've got to do everything because you can't be trusted. That is a sinful attitude to take toward your creator. I think the way at large that we think about and handle our money is sinful. The overwhelming thought of, of money in our, in our culture is, how can I use this to benefit me? And we spend almost all of our thought on how we can procure our luxuries, and we give little thought to the fact that there are so many people in the world who don't even have necessities. We are getting the stuff that is over and above and beyond what we need, and there are people who are doing without, and that doesn't even really bother us until we see a sad commercial with Sarah McLaughlin music in the background. And that's a problem. That's a sinful heart attitude of pride and selfishness that says, I matter more than other people. I think, I've, I've said this for a while, and I'm a firm believer that there are serious problems in the world that should have been eradicated by Christians a long, long time ago. Because the funds are there, we just aren't willing to let go of them. I mean, if you look at all the Christians and all the denominations in every church in our country, if everybody just focused on, like, let's say, making sure everybody in the world had clean water, I am very confident that we could take care of that, financially speaking, now. Like, that could be gone, but we don't do it because we're prideful and we're selfish. And so, are you guys encouraged yet? I'm hoping you guys are encouraged yet. Okay, we got to talk about this stuff, though, because we need to take sin seriously, because that's the other problem, is as we start to learn about it and we hear about sin and we are made aware that we are sinners, we don't take it very seriously. We don't want to get rid of it. We don't want to maybe learn anymore because, you know what, I, I like my life. And again, I don't want to change my life. But we have to take sin seriously. God takes sin seriously. For a Christian not to take sin seriously is an insult to Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. He died so that we could be totally free from pride, totally free from selfishness, totally free from sexual immorality and impurity. He died so that we could have a better life, a more full life. And to ignore that, to reject that, is a shame. And so Paul, he, as he goes on into chapter 6, he is also talking, dealing with people who maybe weren't taking their sin so seriously. Because they um, are asking the most dumb question, okay? Because Paul says, okay, God gives us the law so that we would be made aware of our sin, Okay? And so as we are made more aware of our sin, don't worry. And as you realize how big of a sinner you are, don't worry. God's grace will always be bigger than your sin. And some people in the Roman church were wondering then, okay, if as our sin grows, God's grace grows, should we just sin all the time? That way God has just the chance to show up and be more gracious? Like, it, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard possible. That's like a kid saying, Dad, I'm doing you a favor by being disobedient so that you can learn patience. Like, that's not how this works, okay? That's not the way it's supposed to be. And so for us to, for these people to say, so I can just sin all the time, and God just gets to show off how good he is, right? So I'll, I'm doing God a favor by being so bad all the time. And Paul says, oh no. So he goes on in chapter 6, verse 1. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? He says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Not an old sinful life, a new life. And then jump down to verse 11. He says, in the same way, count yourselves, what's the word? Dead to sin, but what? 
Alive to God in Christ Jesus. That means sinful you is dead. The, the, the life that you live now is for God, for his glory, not your own. Okay, we'll keep going. It says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. That's this body. That means, that means Jesus didn't just die to get you into heaven. He died so that this life, this broken down you, could be free from sin and have the best possible life now apart from sin and with him. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. That means grateful. I'm grateful that I'm not stuck in sin. That, I'm grateful that I'm not on the road to hell anymore. I am so grateful that Jesus died on the cross to save me to something better. So we act like those who have been brought from death to life, and we offer, part, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. And so we as believers, we need to take our sin seriously. We should desire to have as little sin in our lives as possible. But like I said or, earlier, man, sin is fun sometimes. Okay? And sin is normal. And so being normal, no one's going to call you out on it. No one's going to say, hey, that's not something you should do because normal is fine. When I was a, a normal high school kid, when I just became a Christian, nobody called me out on staring at girls. Okay? Nobody called me out on how, doing my hair. I almost didn't want to say it because I was like, nope, I'm going to lose them again. Hey, I had hair. It's okay. It's a thing. We're moving on it. Um, but sin is fun and sin is normal. And the decision to change is difficult because being different is abnormal. And nobody wants to be abnormal. But sometimes being a Christian means we've got to live a different kind of life set to a different standard. We've got to decide what's more important to you, your way of life that's full of sin and selfishness and pride and who knows what else, or following Jesus to a better life that he's promised you. What is better? What is more? Because the cost of following Jesus, the cost of fo truly following him down the road he has for you, is going to mean that you will give up a lot of the ways that you have been living, a lot of the normal habits that you have. But remember, he didn't just... Ask us to give things up. Sometimes I think we stop there because there's a lot of people who think that Christianity and God, they're all just about rules and taking away all your fun, okay? Because sin is fun and God doesn't want me to have any fun because he says no to all these cool things that are fun, right? But we forget the second part of that. He, we say no to these things so that we can say yes to better things. The way Jesus has for us is better. And most people don't believe that because they've never tried it. People who say, say, oh, I don't want to follow God, I don't want to do any of that, it's because they've never truly, truly followed Jesus. Maybe they kept some of the rules, but you can keep the rules without following Jesus, okay? Um, and so, we are to follow Jesus to better things. And so, um, in this case, I think, okay, how do, I, how do we figure this out? If our big problem is we don't know about sin, then that means we've got to learn what's sinful, we got to learn where we're sinful. I think the best way to do that is by investing into the church, by building relationships and spending time in environments and places where you can grow. I think you as a believer need to devote yourself to grow, to dedicate yourself to actually growing in maturity and knowledge of who God is and what he wants us to do. I think that includes coming to church more than just once a month. Because we, in this environment, we can learn more. We can grow together. Uh, for me, when I first became a Christian, I just started going to church all the time. 
Uh, I, I, don't, I just thought that's what you did. I didn't know that Christians could not go to church. I, you know, it's funny what I didn't know when I became a Christian because you know, the person that I met most closely with was my girlfriend, and her dad was a deacon, so they were at church all the time. So I just learned my pattern from her, and I went all the time. And one time she went on vacation, and I went without her, and everybody was shocked that I showed up without my girlfriend. I was like, am I not supposed to be here? Like, do I have to have her to get in? Like, I don't know what the rules are here. I'm so sorry. You know, I didn't know anything. And so I become a Christian. You know, I don't, I start going to church all the time. And then I graduated high school and I got a job where I worked every single Sunday. And so I started going to youth group, even though it wasn't really my age. I wasn't like a youth group kid anymore, but I needed something. I needed growth. I needed to be taught, and I was hungry for it at that stage. And so I went so that every week I could get something. It is vital that we come and spend time in Scripture. Another thing we offer here that I think is so good is we have growth groups. It's where we get out of the rows most of the time, and we sit in a circle, and we can ask the tough questions, and all of our teachers want to take us a little bit deeper in how we follow Jesus and what we know about what God has for us. I think it would be so good for you to get into a growth group. I think right now a little less than half of you probably do that, and for the half of you that don't, I would just say it's so valuable because the Heather half that do go, they, they've been doing it every week forever. Most of the ones that, that come are every week people because they love it. They like the relationships. They like the lessons. They, they feel that it is a blessing to them. All right. I would really, really encourage you to try out a growth group. If you want to know what we have, there's under the TV there, there's a, uh, a card for each of the uh, four growth groups that we have on regular. And I don't have one for Cindy's group because I haven't had time to print the card. That's my fault. Um, but Cindy, uh, almost several times a year, has a, a growth group on Wednesdays for ladies. And if you want to know more about that, she's right there. And so, uh, but, but, but we, I would just love for you to get into a growth group. I would love for you to not neglect meeting together on Sunday mornings because there's other things going on. Again, we've got to make time for this stuff. If we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to say this is important, then it's going to cost us some things. And I just, I mean, I just think we got to take this seriously. For far too long, Christians have, too many Christians have been name only. I come to church once in a while, I put something in the plate, I've checked the boxes, that's all I need to be a member of faith. That's all I need to have salvation and stuff. But no, 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 Jesus didn't just call you to do a few things. He didn't call you to jump through some hoops or check things off the list. He, he, he saved you so that he could know you, have a relationship with you, and, and save you from sin. He loves you so much, he doesn't want you to walk your whole life being selfish. Because when you're selfish, he knows there's something on the other side of that that you're missing out on. He doesn't want you to walk your whole life being distracted by a craving for money and stuff because he knows that when you can be free of that, there's something better on the other side. Jesus has something amazing for you in this life, here and now, and yes, eternity too. It's cake, icing, the whole shebang. It's all of it that we get with Jesus. We get, it's one of those too good to be true things in Christ, but we've got to take it seriously, and we've got to follow Jesus, and we've got to be more willing to follow him than to figure out for ourselves what we think is right and wrong. We've got to be humble and say, okay, Jesus, I don't, I, I don't know if I get all this yet, but I'm going to follow, and I'm going to give up what you call me to give up, because he died to fully break sin's power in your life, so why ignore that? Why, why throw that away and ignore the sacrifice of Jesus? Why ignore the hope of something better? And so, in a minute, we're going to move into our time of communion, and if servers, would you please go uh, prepare to serve? As, as we take communion, and maybe you're from a different church background, and they called it the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, we call it communion, different names, 
all the same thing. What this is, is a time to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. That when it comes to the sin of humanity, we were stuck in our sin, and Jesus came down and fully paid the price of sin so that we don't have to serve the punishment for those crimes. He totally served that on the cross. He died a horrible death that you and I deserved so that we don't have to. And the bread and the juice that you'll find in the plates when those are passed, those represent the, the severity of the death that he died for you, giving everything for you. He loved you so, so, so much. Now, when you take communion, I want you to understand that this is so much more than just your ticket into heaven. That Jesus is so much more than just the, the get out of hell free card. He wants you to have a better life now, like today. He wants your life to change now. He wants you to have hope and something better right now. Not tomorrow, not one day, not in eternity. He wants to affect your life and change your life now. And you can have that. So as you take communion today, I just want you to think of the size of the sacrifice for Jesus, not just to take your, your list of sins so you can get into heaven, but to totally remove sin from your life now. But you've got to be willing to let go of the sin. You've got to be willing to let go of those things that might be fun, that might be everything you've ever known, so that you can trust him, step out in faith to see where he's going to take you. So please, as we take communion this morning, just think for a minute, what would life be like now? What's the hope that you could have different now if you let go of the pride, the anger, and everything that he died to let, help you let go of? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time to gather and, and talk about sin. It's not something we like talking about. It's not something we even like admitting that is a problem in our lives. But I, we hope, Lord, that you have something better for us we hope that there really is something better in, on the path that you ha you've, you've laid out for us. And I pray for those of us in this room who are believers, who have said we want to follow you, I pray that you would give us the courage to truly follow you. Because sometimes to follow you, that means we're going to get made fun of by others. That means we're maybe going to have to uh, accept that certain relationships in our life are going to kind of dissolve away because the friends that we've had and the relationships that we've had are not holy, they're not honoring to you. And we need maybe to start fresh. I pray, Father, that you would give us the courage to say no to sin. That you would help us to maybe not just think about how fun life can be, but we can actually think about the joy that is bigger than fun, the joy that is beyond our sin. And something we often neglect, Father, is that the life you give us can be fun. We can have joy and celebrate with you. And I just pray, Father, that we would have hope in you, hope that is bigger than anything we've hoped in in this world, and that we are willing to give up a lifestyle, give up any sin that is in our life so that we can follow you. And for those of us in the room who maybe don't know what, what sin is or what sins we're struggling with, I pray that you would make those obvious so that we can fight them off. I pray that we can get into some groups and get in environments where we can learn. I pray that you would help us to take that step if that's what's needed. I pray that we can um, have good, honest, loving friends who can tell us where we're prideful and tell us where maybe we've got something ugly in our life that we need to work on. Help us to truly follow you, to walk away from sin, and to honor you with everything that we are. We pray all this in Jesus' good and holy name. Amen.